Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directing your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. Well, it would have been hard to miss this week the Australian media's talking up of war with China. But here are a few statistics to mull over. China's army is roughly 35 times larger than ours and its navy about 16 times larger. Its aircraft outnumbers ours 10 to 1. And as Clint Eastwood might have said, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So with China some 7,000 kilometres away and also our largest trading partner, does all this talk of war strike you as slightly odd? Odd or not, the hawks in government, our commentariat and the media in general seem to be busy drumming away about Australia needing to be war ready. But why? And on what basis should Australia contemplate such an event? And why is the media talking about it? To discuss this, we're fortunate to be joined by two immensely qualified journalists. Bill Bertels is the ABC's very recently former China correspondent. He currently resides in Australia after having to leave China in September 2020 after being retained by Chinese police and advised by Australian diplomats in Beijing to leave the country. His new book, The Truth About China, is published by Alan Unwin. Bill Bertels, Welcome to For the State. And Michael Smith is the Australian Financial Review's recently former China correspondent. After a knock on the door from the Chinese secret police, he, like Bill Bertels, left China in September 2020. Indeed, they left together. And he now reports on China from Australia. His new book is called The Last Correspondent, Dispatches from the Frontline of Xi's New China. And it's published by Ultimo Press. Michael, welcome to For the State. Now, can I ask you both, all of this talk in our media of beating the drums of war and stories in newspapers about our apparent need for war readiness, what is it about? Is it dangerous sabre-rattering or is there some kind of you know, reason or method to the madness? Bill, could you go first? I'm of the view that uh, it's really not that bad. It's, um, I think there's a reality that Australians uh, are not really uh, thinking about, and that is that the Chinese Communist Party is absolutely hell-bent on taking over Taiwan uh, by the middle of this century. And they're not imminently about to do it. 
because they would have done it already if it was easy enough to do for them, if there wasn't too big a cost uh, to be imposed. But um, they certainly are sabre-rattling and flying a lot of uh, military planes around the island and doing an increased number of drills. This is most likely psychological warfare rather than any imminent plan to invade. But I really don't think there's anything too wrong with Australia or an Australian official uh, speaking about this, sort of making people in Australia aware that this will, at some point, probably in a few decades, uh, be an issue that Australians will have to think about. I understand that there's this concern that by talking about it, it implies that Australia will um, intervene on the side of the Americans if they were to intervene. Uh, but I just think it's good to get these things in open discussion, even if China's not happy about it. But that, that, that would be the strong, uh, the strong implication and expectation that Australia would at least be called upon to intervene on, the, on, on, the, uh, on behalf of the United States. Is, that, is there any justification for even having that discussion, even, even talking about the possibility of war at this point in time, given that any action that China takes is likely to be a long way off? Well, the question, I don't know if it's this question for me or for Mike, but I'll quickly <laughs> just chime in and say it might be a few decades off or it might be sooner. It, I think um, the idea that Australians may have had is that it's so far off, it's not worth contemplating. Having spent the last five years up in China, I think it is worth contemplating. And uh, I really don't think it was that uh, unreasonable to at least have Australians thinking about it, even if the language that was used in public may have been a little bit dramatic. Mm. Michael, what, what do you think? Do you think it's it's um, too early to be talking about this as an issue? Yeah, I'm a bit surprised by some of the rhetoric we've we've been hearing out of Canberra lately because, I mean, no, no other country is really speaking about Taiwan and China uh, in quite the shrill tones that, that Australia is at the moment. And um, you know, you know the the drums of war and 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 all of this kind of stuff does seem a bit alarmist when you know a, a war isn't imminent. Um, and but I do agree with Bill. Obviously, something something could happen in coming years and decades, and it could it's good Australians are aware of that. But but uh, you know, some of the headlines we we see make it sound like you know that they're about to invade, and there's sort of no sign China's about to invade Taiwan. And um, and it's sort of you know hard to see why our politicians are speaking like this. I mean, this talk of sort of a khaki election and distracting everyone from from other issues here. So you know, I think you know, in a way, I think we've got to be a bit careful. It it, it could be dangerous. I mean, Australia certainly doesn't want to go to war with China, so I'm not quite sure why we're talking up this possibility. So, are you a bit surprised, Michael, by the way it's been reported? I mean, where is the issue? Is the issue with what the politicians are saying and the mandarins are saying, or is it with the way it's being reported? Yeah, not not really. It's. I mean, we had this dilemma in the newsroom a few weeks ago. We had sort of defence department sources telling us that um, you know that they they were sort of getting onto a war footing. They were sort of getting prepared for sort of possible future action uh, in the Taiwan Strait. So you, you know you can't ignore stuff like that. We we wrote that up. Uh, and wrote a pretty strong story. But, I mean, I was speaking to one academic who specialises in Taiwan and he's sort of like, well, why are you guys, you know, talking up the possibility of war? This is quite dangerous. But I think, um, you know, you can't ignore you can't ignore what's going on. So I, I think we had to report it. I mean, you know, you do see a few shrill headlines out there, you know, talking about war with Taiwan. So, so you, you have to be a bit careful how you uh, how you word your your headlines. I mean, I think, you know, Mike Pizzullo's comments were, you know, actually very 
interesting and, and you know, I think we and many other organisations have reported them and, and you can't ignore it. But I just think we've got to be careful about sort of talking up, you know, th this idea that a war is imminent when it's not. It, it's difficult. A lot of people in Australia don't know a lot about Taiwan, so it's sort of hard to explain uh, where China's at in, in terms of Taiwan. Mm. Bill, what do you think? Do you think that the, the media or, or at least the headlines are, are leaning towards being shrill? Oh, not really. I think that they were reporting the comments from Mike Paluzzo and uh, I think there were some comments perhaps by Dutton also that were being reported. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, the media talking about that. Um, perhaps in the reporting, I'm not quite sure. I can't really speak for everyone else's reporting, but it is always important to emphasise that there is no conflict imminent for various reasons, the key one being that it's very difficult for China to actually invade Taiwan, so they're not about to do it. Um, so as long as there's that context in the reporting, I think it's fine. And, I mean, it's always that balance between reporting the comments that somebody might make in a, a, a situation that could be and is often seen as quite volatile without broader context, without nuance. Is that part of what we're seeing happening in Australia, Mike, do you think? Because there certainly seems to be a lot of people out there who are, are saying, are pointing the finger at the media and saying, the way you are reporting this is out of line. It's it's too alarmist. Yeah, I mean, we are in sort of new territory here. I mean, the, the China debate up until recently has been sort of more about trade and, and you know, criticism of human rights issues in China. But, but all of a sudden, we're sort of, when you're talking about a possible war, I mean, that's sort of, you know, much more delicate territory. And I guess I'm not a historian, but, you know, I'm sure there's been periods in, in history where if enough people talk up the idea of a of a war, it, it does happen. And, and some of the rhetoric is um, just sort of really sort of out there at the moment. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think the Australian media is sort of hyping up you know, we are reporting what our politicians and, and officials are saying, and, and we're also getting this rhetoric a bit now on the Chinese side. So, you know, I think we, we sort of have to report that. I don't think mm. the media is sort of doing anything really out of line here. So tell, tell us a little bit about the way, you, what you think the Chinese Communist Party is, is making of uh, what they're hearing out of Australia at the moment. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're sitting up there in Beijing and thinking, why, why the hell is this sort of, um, you know, a country that's much less, much less powerful than us sort of talking up up the idea yes. of, of war? And, I um, mean, I think all along during the trade disputes, you know, that the Global Times editor um, famously said, you know, Australia's like chewing gum on the on the heel of our shoes, so sort of a little bit, little bit annoying, but we can just sort of uh, get rid of it pretty easily if we want to. So, you know, I think they're probably bemused by the whole thing. But I also think Australia, I mean, I've sort of spoken to, to sources in DFAT and what have you, and, and I think Australia also wants to send a message to China that, look, you know, if you guys cross a, a certain line in terms of Taiwan, we are willing to go in there, we're willing to help the US. And, and look, I'm sure the US is very supportive of, of sending this quite firm message to China that, um, um, you know, if you do try and take action on Taiwan, you know, it, it's not going to be, we're not going to make it easy for you. So so you could argue that, that that's maybe a good thing. And so apart from being slightly bemused by the Australian, the, the, the stance that has been publicly taken in Australia, do you think that Beijing 
um, bill would be thinking as well, well, this really just kind of consolidates the idea that much of the international community has that Australia is kind of like a US proxy in the Pacific or in this region more generally. Well, the Chinese Communist Party is incapable of seeing Australia through any independent um, lens at all. Uh, the rhetoric has, um, for many years, and certainly over the last five years, uh, always resorted to uh, Australia is just a, a lapdog of the US, basically. Australia is uh, without its own direction. Yeah, it needs to be independent. This, of course, was China's interest, honestly. If, if they could deal with Australia without the hedge of the US, that would be ideal for Beijing. Um, so, so this would reinforce existing beliefs in China, in the government, that uh, Australia is just a, a sort of proxy uh, member of the broader US foreign policy objectives. Um, I, I suspect it reinforces what they already believed. Um, some of that belief is, is based on, you know, true reasons. And other times I think it's kind of frustrating when you sit up there and you're at Chinese foreign policy press, uh, foreign ministry press conferences, and uh, the sort of incapability of the Chinese government to understand that Australians, uh, those Australians who are in favour of the US alliance, that that is a choice that they make and they reinforce every three years through democratic elections. There are parties like the Greens, for example, who run on platforms uh, at times wanting to scale down that relationship, opposing the Darwin base, et cetera, but those parties. Uh, never win majorities in federal elections. So it always sort of seemed to me that China is basing this idea on, on you know, fairly tangible proof that Australia does back the US in many, many ways. But also, too, there's, there's kind of this inability to give Australians agency in making those choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things that I, I don't understand, I take on board what you've both uh, articulated, that Australia can't be seen to be standing by and, uh, and, and turning a blind eye to what ultimately would be a human rights abuse if it chose to, to move militarily on Taiwan. But, but really, what's in it for Australia, given to, to take the stance that it currently is publicly, given what's at stake? Given the, the trading um, relationship, uh, gi- given the, uh, the, the 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 disparity between uh, the military strength of Australia and China, I don't get why they're doing what they're doing. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, look, I, I don't quite get it either. I mean, one argument is uh, I interviewed the Taiwanese foreign minister uh, a week ago, and and his argument is that you know Australia, if if China is allowed to sort of take over Taiwan. Taiwan's a democracy, and his argument is, well, Australia's a democracy in the region, not that far from China, and and uh, he talks about an expansionist China, and and sort of seems to intimate that if Australia stands by and let and lets sort of communist China take over Taiwan, well, Australia could be next uh, further down the line. Of course, you know, there's no evidence suggesting uh, that's going to happen, but although although anything is possible. Um, so I think that's how the, the US and maybe certainly Taiwan would would argue that it's in Australia's interest. But but of course, I mean, the Australian public generally don't have a lot to do with Taiwan. I don't think, um, you know, a lot of people in Australia probably don't even care that much about what, what happens to the 25 million uh, people in Hong Kong. So it, it does make it difficult to understand why we would uh, go, go to war over this. But obviously, it's all seen through the prism of, of the China debate and, and the, you know, the perceived mm-hmm. China threat. And, and maybe the Australian government see, you know, see some upside in, in, in talking about it that way. 
I mean, Joe Biden has has made it fairly clear that his administration is uh, is looking to a much more cohesive and coherent uh, policy towards China, and and in doing so, putting pressure on China. In fact, more so than Trump ever did. Australia obviously is a key part of of that planning. But do either of you see our recent aggressive talk as a nation as coming from something that 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 perhaps is actually coming from Washington, or or, or do you think we are ad libbing and going our own way, Bill? I don't know. I mean, there was this idea that the Chinese government has, or they had during the Trump administration, that Australia, um, you take the WHO, the, the call for independent inquiry into the origins of coronavirus that Maurice Payne originally made. You know, China was convinced the whole time that that wasn't her own decision, that the Americans put her up to it, that the Americans mm-hmm. put the Australian government up to it. And so... Yeah, the Chinese perception is always that Australia doesn't make its own decisions on these things. But I don't actually know if, if, if there's any reason to think that these recent comments have been some sort of you know, directive or request out of Washington, or if it's more the Australian uh, government um, trying to put this on the agenda of the foreign policy establishment in Washington to say, hey, look, um, you've got to think, you've got to prioritise this East Asia issue of Taiwan a lot more. Here we are talking about it. Here we are signalling a willingness to join with the US in future if, if things ever came to conflict. I, I wonder if it's more the Australians kind of raising it rather than the Americans putting them up to it. Well, that in itself would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it might it might it might show that the there's genuine concern within the Australian government about this, and they perhaps think that the Americans. Uh, are not uh, prioritising this as much as they could be. Um, oh, I, I don't know. But, you know, it, it is odd to be talking about it now. Um, I suppose, though, given the amount of military drills that China has done around Taiwan in recent, particularly the last 12 months, it would be somewhat odd if there was no public discussion about this, uh, you know, in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. Mark, what do you think? Do you think that we're that, that Australia is doing it deliberately to uh, get the United States to focus, or uh, is there something else happening? Yeah, I mean, Bill makes a good point because I mean, Australia was sort of first country in the world to sort of ban Huawei from from five G, and Turnbull government introduced foreign interference laws, and so we sort of led the way on on many aspects of, of you know pushing back on on China, and I don't think that was a a US directive. I mean, this situation sort of very different because because you're not going to do anything over Taiwan unless the US is is there. Obviously, you need their military might. So I don't know. I just I, I'm not sure if I I could sort of see Australia sort of um, trying to push the US into a conflict here. And I mean, obviously, all all the powers are uh, the alliances between you know particularly Japan and. Um, and the US and Australia has, has sort of strengthened a bit since since Biden got into power. And I, I would always assume it was Biden and, and the White House driving something like this. But, um, you know, it, it, it's very hard to tell. And I find it also interesting. I mean, you know, we all saw what happened in, in Hong Kong last year with the national security laws. And of course, Hong Kong's different situation than, than Taiwan. But, but I mean, our government's there sort of um, you know, issued a few statements con- condemning what China did, but it sort of never really went any further than that. So it's mm. interesting. There seems to be a lot more concern about Taiwan all of a sudden. Yeah, can I ask you, um, Mark, if China were to attack 
Taiwan. That would obviously deserve condemnation. But would it deserve military retaliation, do you think? Oh, I mean, no one wants a war. I mean, God, I certainly hope we don't go to war with, with China. I mean, millions of people would, would die. To, you know, it's, it's the worst thing uh, imaginable. So, I, you know, we just have to really hope we, we don't get to this uh, situation. But um, it sort of feels like this is something that the US and its allies, um, you know, might go into defend. And I think if the US does, I don't think Australia is going to have a lot of choice, but, but to join with some kind of uh, military support, which would, um, you know, be a disaster for, for, for everyone. But um, yeah, so look, let's hope that doesn't happen. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, would if China... But in, 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 in theory, in principle, do you think that that would deserve a military retaliation? I mean, I personally think it it would. I mean, Taiwan's a very complex issue. It, it, it's not part of China, but it's not completely, you know, in, independent as well. But um, if, you know, the PLA start marching in, I mean, we've seen, you know, Western, you know, the US and, and, and Australia going into to, to other wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, et cetera, um, for sort of much less valid reasons, you could argue. So, so you know, perhaps we probably should. Mm. Bill, what do you think? Do you think it would deserve military retaliation if China were to move on Taiwan? Yeah, I think it's it's contested because um, if you look at it from the Chinese perspective, they would say uh, this really has nothing to do with other countries. Um, it's an internal issue for China, which is obviously highly debatable. Um, whereas the other countries would be going in to defend Taiwan, not because strategically it makes that much difference, but because it's a fellow democracy. And, you know, this is an idea China's incapable of really accepting that that democracies need to band together to push back against authoritarianism. But that would be the key reason, I, I suspect, because I suppose there's an argument. If the, if the United States is not capable of defending a democracy of 25 million from China, then what use is its military bases in Okinawa in Japan? What use are its military bases in South Korea or in Darwin? It's almost, it feels to me, like an existential test of the U.S. commitment to Asia, U.S. military strength, the U.S. ability to actually do anything in Asia uh, if it doesn't try and defend this democracy of 25 million people. Strategically, aside from that, I don't really think there's too much benefit to uh, defending the island. I think it's more about that sort of symbolism. Mm. So, so given all of that then, is it more likely, do you think, that that China would come to an agreement that guarantees Taiwan's um, autonomy with caveats, say, you know, Taiwan wouldn't be permitted to host foreign military? Uh, never, no. I, no. I, I think Chinese government is ruthlessly brutal in its determination to put Taiwan under communist control. Uh, it's expressed a lot of patience over the years to do it, um, but it's sort of elevated the issue year after year to one of sort of religious significance and it's just the absolute cornerstone of Chinese nationalism um, you know supposedly regaining this lost piece of the motherland so I just think unfortunately you're dealing with a government that has absolutely zero space to compromise and even if a bunch of liberals somehow got in charge and, and wanted to uh, they sort of whipped the country into such a nationalistic frenzy about Taiwan decade after decade that there's probably little public appetite uh, to ever sort of make a proper compromise. But that said, there's also very little public appetite in China to militarily attack the place. Mm. 
Okay, well, let's just forget Canberra for a moment and the politics of all of this. Are either of you seeing um, a degree of understanding or nuance in the in in what we are being uh, delivered by the media on China at the moment? And both of you understand the country very well. You've had your own personal experiences, as we all know. Um, but are, are you seeing a level of understanding and nuance that you would expect or, or want to see on the reporting of this issue and of China more broadly? Mike, can I go to you first? Yeah, um, not really. I mean, obviously, the you know, the, the big tragedy out of, you know, sort of Bill and I sort of being f- forced to leave China is that, there you know, there's no Australian journalists working for Australian media outlets uh, left in the country. I mean, at one stage, you know, you'd, there'd be six or seven correspondents there at any one time. So you're getting all this very nuanced reporting from, from China, what life is like on the ground, what the people are like. You know, y- your reports are probably humanising uh, the people a little bit more. And you're also reporting, you know, the, the fun stuff, the, the good news stories on on the ground and just getting all that nuances so we've obviously lost a bit of that at the moment there's there's obviously there's still hundreds of great foreign correspondents uh left in the country like you know Stephen McDonald an Australian at, at the BBC so it's not all not all lost but I mean most of the reporting we're doing now is done from outside of China and and you know I'm personally finding it frustrating trying to report on China from, from Sydney because you just can't do it as well as you as you used to um, we don't have any local staff on the ground in China, so it's it's very difficult. You can, of course, you can speak to your contacts in in China and um, and and still sort of get get information, but then you know that's difficult. People are more reluctant to, to talk to you. Um, people are worried about the phones being bugged, etc. So it is getting a lot more challenging. So you are seeing a lot of, you know, there's still some good reporting going on. There's a, there's a lot of you know you've got the Hugh Remingtons and the Chris Ullmans and people like that who have worked in in China and, and sort of get the country, but you are getting a lot of reporting done on China from reporters who've sort of never been there, don't don't quite understand it. Um, so I think it has detracted from the debate a little bit. And so does that leave them open as well to going to sources who might be somewhat more hawkish on the issue than uh, but then people who who are on the ground, who've been there for a while, who understand the people? Yeah, definitely. I think it's easy to sort of you know, have this perception of China as, um, you know, being a very dark and sinister place, and it, and it can be uh, sometimes. And and I even find it myself, and I'm, I'm probably speaking to a lot more hawkish sources now than, than I obviously was uh, when I was in China. So I think that um, can, I'm not saying all the reporting on China is distorted, but um, I think you're going to see more negative reporting on China from outside of China than, than you would if you're, you're in there in a way. But clearly, I mean, obviously it stands to reason, doesn't it, that that if those are the sorts of views that you are hearing, it impacts your reporting. It does make it more hawkish. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And when and you're sort of seeing everything, you know, particularly if you're doing it from here, you're seeing everything through the prism of the Canberra debate uh, and the China debate here is is so polarising and, you know, you, you can... You know, people want to put you in a box. You, you're either pro-China or, or anti-China and it's sort of it's sort of getting hard to to sort of do any reporting that that's in that middle ground at the moment it's 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 hard to get some balance bill are you seeing the same problems um i think that yes within the media in australia on china is pluralistic it's not singular so you have you have good reporters bad reporters you have good coverage you have 
uh, coverage often that makes a lot of assumptions about China, as Mike said, from people who haven't actually spent much time there. Yeah, you do have quite a few hawkish voices. But among those hawkish voices, you do have quite a few, um, not just journalists, but you know, think tank analysts and so forth, who actually have had quite a bit of exposure to China. And they've formed hawkish views because of their exposure to China. I think being on the ground there, um, it, it, it gives you a more, say, nuanced understanding of the place. But you also, you know, I suppose I came back from China thinking, my God, the country is sort of steeped in this extreme nationalism at the moment. And you just sort of see it every day. You see state propaganda just pumping out militaristic images. You sort of see the uncompromising line of, um, of the sort of, of the hawks who run China these days, whether it's to the NBA or H&M or, you know, perceived slights. So I don't necessarily think that whether you're hawkish or not in China is a reflection of how much you understand the country. Um, I do think, though, particularly News Limited, uh, has for some strange reason decided that taking a particularly hawkish line on China must be good for uh, selling advertising or selling papers. And some of the coverage you get in News Limited, uh, particularly in the Australia, not from Will Glasgow, but from other reporters, uh, seems to interpret uh, what's going on in China always in the worst possible light. And that's where you could have a bit more nuance. But as I said, you know, every issue, there's good reporting and bad reporting. It's not just China. Mm. Uh, so a final question to both of you, if I can. Um, I mean, I think it's clear that 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 uh, sometimes we, you know, it's it's better to be. Well, we we both we we all know that it's better to be on the ground reporting a country rather than being outside peering in and and making all sorts of guesses, educated or otherwise. Um, but the I guess the same can be said about what the Chinese report about us. And I wanted to ask you both, what do they miss in their reporting? about Australia, if they in, indeed could be bothered reporting about Australia. But if they do, and when they do, what do they get wrong and what do they get right about us? Mike, can I put that to you first? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't really thought a lot about that. I mean, I think, I mean, when I moved to China in early 2018, I mean, the reporting on Australia suddenly shifted because they were unhappy with some of the things the Turnbull government was doing. You'd have all these sort of shrill reports about shark attacks in Australia and snake bites and spiders and they were sort of portraying China, Australia as sort of this really dangerous place and, and sending out a message that maybe their tourists shouldn't go there and I think that clashed with you know everyone I met in China their personal image of Australia was quite positive a lot of a lot of people know people who who study here and it was always like oh you guys have good food and and good beaches but it I think in the last couple of years the reporting on Australia has been quite negative and and you saw it you know particularly with the reporting on on the US and and the US elections i mean that was obviously in, in, incredibly negative and portraying democracy in a very grim light which was sort of easy to do under trump and um so i think you know you're getting the same messages being pumped out there about australia and of course the china chinese media is quite different than than our media i mean they they do sort of have to to take directions and take a certain slant on on stories at the same time. But I mean, I, I don't read everything being written about Australia in the Chinese media. So I'm sure there's a, there's a broad spectrum of coverage there. Mm. Bill, what do you think? What do they not get about us? Or, and what do well, they get right? Yeah, Monica, it's difficult because all Chinese media is subject to censorship. And the state media 
you know, the reporting is always compromised by the political directives. So the biggest thing state media doesn't get right, and this is deliberate, uh, is that it doesn't understand Australian popular opinion. It credits all the problems in the relationship to sort of hostile forces, hostile actors, hostile politicians. And it, it, it seems to make an assumption that it's sort of like a small group of people who have these hawkish views on China and that, you know, it's not the wider public. That's, that's kind of the tone that you often see in state media coverage of Australia. I think it's a really poor understanding of, of Australian popular opinion. I have seen recently uh, some analysts actually waking up and saying that public, pop, popular opinion now is so hostile to China that even if a politician did want to have better relations, it would be difficult to do. But for a long time, I think um, it always tried to frame the problems as being the fault of a small group of Australians who were supposedly out of touch with the majority. Um, but there's also, of course, uh, all those small independent media outlets on WeChat. And they are subject to the, the censorship, but they're obviously not state-run. They're not necessarily directed by the state. Um, they're reporting on Australia, particularly if these are outlets that are based over here, Chinese language outlets. Um, it's a bit better, obviously. It understands things a bit better. Um, but... Uh, you know, that's most people in China are, are getting their understanding of Australia from state media. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, the political objectives of the state always influence the coverage of Australia and, and really paint it in a very two dimensional way. Mm. I know I said that was the last question, but I do have actually w w one more question for both of you. And that is do either of you um, see yourselves? getting back to China at any point in time as reporters? Mike? Um, I don't see myself getting back there, not, certainly not in the short term, not, not in the next year or two. You know, I loved working there as a journalist. It's, it's still the, the, the biggest story around. There was a lot more I wanted to do, but I just think in the current environment, I, I won't be able to get back there and uh, we'll have to try and cover China from, from somewhere else in Asia, probably Japan, uh, but it's never going to be the same as, as being there. But if, you, if, you, if miraculously there was some <laughs> diplomatic impasse and you were able to get back in there knowing that you were safe, would you go back? Oh, I think I would. I'd love to go back. I mean, I only did, I mean, I've been covering China on and off for 20 years, but I only did sort of just under three years there as, as the AFRs correspondent and it wasn't quite long enough so yeah if there was some miracle tomorrow I'd, I'd be happy to go back and, and complete my assignment I just can't see that happening at the moment yeah and what about you Bill would you go back yeah I'd go back but even if there wasn't the political problems the questions about safety there's a another problem at the moment which makes working in the media in China very undesirable and that's the um the censorship environment is just so dire that it's very hard for people to talk to foreign journalists. It's very difficult to uh, actually do much reporting on the ground now. And so for the next few years, I'm happy not to be there. Um, I just think it's going through a really bad patch in terms of the international media. So you'd be concerned about the uh, the safety of people that you did speak to? Oh, I mean, you, you, you kind of, you, you understand the parameters pretty well. Um, most people who are, who are of interest when you speak to them, they know they know the risks better than you do. And um, I don't think there was ever a time when I interviewed somebody and I thought the result of this interview is them going to jail. 
I mean, we interviewed Joshua Wong three days before he went to jail, but it wasn't because of my interview. <laughs> I interviewed a human rights lawyer who got jailed later, but once again, you know, it was because of other things. So, um, but it's more just the difficulty. You you don't you want to contact somebody, say they're you know, a lawyer or whatever. You want to speak about something marginally political. Um, you want to use some sort of medium to contact them that's not monitored. And it's, we've had interviews cancelled multiple times where state security and the local branch has turned up to this person's office and said, we know you're about to talk to the ABC, don't do the interview. So what's the point? You know what I mean? There's sort of futility about it at the moment. And um, unless that situation improves, um, it's not that desirable to currently be reporting there, even though it is such a massive story. Okay. All right. Look, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you both very, very much for for your time today. It was uh, an illuminating discussion and um, I hope that you both do well and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Monica. Thanks, Monica. And on that note, I'd like to thank Bill Bertels and Mike Smith for their time. And thanks for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk about media and politics and everything in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. And thanks, as always, to the producer of this program, Anthony Dockwell. My name is Monica Attard. Thank you for listening.